sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you stop. like. What a stop! Chance for Ben! Oh! Oh! Jordan Ben! Yes! Jordan Ben! I mean, that sort of stuff, we're, it's been... We're, be we're bigger than that. That interview was just like the performance, flat. No. Well, I mean, what do you want him to do? Just fall at Gabriel's feet crying? I mean, well, he's... Say something... We, we were doing what we'd done for 20 years, relaxing a nervous studio guest in the same way that you would in, in these conditions, um, and thought no more of it. Fire it up, fire it up, when we finally turn it over, make a beeline towards the boulder. Good afternoon, welcome. It's the Friday Football Podcast. Adrian Barry with you. And a pretty fired up Nathan Murphy. I'm ready. <laughs> he is ready for action. Sunderland, I'm coming for you on Sunday. <laughs> Um, maybe let's not air too much of this <laughs> On my grievance Yeah No let's I just Yeah go on You're a bit pissed off Because you've spent the last little while These are the bits and pieces that happen uh, When we You know when somebody turns on the radio And all of a sudden there's two guys At the Steady Malite Bringing the commentary of Manchester United Against Sunderland And it just happens to be that way But there's a lot of bits and pieces that happens In the background Normally they're pretty straightforward nah, Possibly less so this week Yeah I uh, Yeah It's going to happen We're going to be there <laughs> Commentary will happen uh, but there's going to be quite a few uh, fiery phone calls between yeah. now and then. And I think it's prudent not to go into too much detail. I've actually had a lot of issues with Sunderland down the years. Really? Yeah. So that makes me wonder, is it Sunderland's <laughs> is it? issue or is it you? Yeah, I once uh, went over to interview John O'Shea in Sunderland a couple of years ago and was taken aside by Martin O'Neill and questioned about my motives. Given a bit of a... Or a not, not a bollocking, yeah. but I, I foolishly thought Martin O'Neill was only in the job a few weeks. I foolishly thought Martin O'Neill, I'm going to walk in. He's going to go, oh, you're from Ireland, as if we're as if we're in like Siberia and yeah. we're the only two people in the world. And we're, oh, you're from Ireland, I'm from Ireland. Oh, yeah, let's hug it out. But uh, no, Martin O'Neill didn't care. Uh, yeah, he was and just, your relationship with he was Sunderland just protecting his has gone south. As has your relationship with Martin O'Neill. No, it's fine. Oh, my relationship with Martin O'Neill is perfectly fine. Yeah, uh, I was over there Mutual a few weeks respect. ago, I have to say, a few years ago, and uh, at Sunderland, I wouldn't quite say the red carpet was rolled out, <laughs> but it was a pretty decent reception. It was, uh, if I recall correctly, an Easter Monday, possibly something like that, and everything was kind of shut down to a large degree. The chairman of the club came out and met me, brought me around, gave what? me a grand tour... Um, did a 15, 20 minute interview with me in the stands Was this when all the Irish lads were in Desolate, were in charge? Uh, a desolate stadium of light Yeah, it was Niall Quinn <laughs> the, the Sunderland chairman Niall Quinn uh, But no, it was great They brought me over They couldn't do enough for me And gave me all this interview Maybe you should go over on Sunday I uh, wasn't over They were playing Manchester United on the Maybe was, they were playing them on the Tuesday night And I hadn't applied for accreditation I was over there for other reasons And... So I just inquired about the possibility of heading along to the game the following night, and it couldn't have been more helpful. In you come, they said. Put you in a box. Fill your boots. No, I was in the uh, cheap seats, media seats. Yeah, yeah, that's not too bad. Um, I've actually never been to the Stadium of Light. It's going to uh, be my first visit. It's a bit dilapidated at that stage. Fine, fine stadium. Uh, I would say a regular Premier League ground. Really but dilapidated? It's yeah, only dilapidated in terms of the 16, 17 years old. I don't mean it was falling apart. It was just in need of a bit of a lick of paint. Uh, on the same trip, I ended up in staying, oddly staying in the same hotel as Manchester United. Again, not planned. And the team that night they went off to, they had a bit of a, a movie showing in one of the function rooms in the hotel that evening. Kind of got a little bit, kind of reminded me of school trips that I used to go on. And begrudgingly you'd want to go and do something else but this was the thing that everyone had to do and so in you went 
So I don't know what they went into watch. And I ended up in a lift with Vidic, uh, Federico Makeda, and Pat Rice. Pat Rice? No, not Pat Rice, not Pat Rice. His equivalent at United, the guy who's also got those sort of tinted glasses, was always at Fergie's side, not Pat Rice. Um, who was his name escapes me. He the was assistant manager. No, 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 no. <laughs> he is quite similar to Pat Rice, obviously. Not him. No, no. He was this other guy who used to. He was a bit of a kind of. He used to be a bit of a United handyman. He used to head around and uh, part physio, part uh, fixer, part whatever you're having yourself. Uh, but you always see him on the TV. And the uh, four of us in the lift together. So it was kind of an odd experience, but I've nothing more to add to it outside of that. We do want to chat about the uh, football a little bit. The trebles went, or uh, our new our new format of the season, by the way, is not going to happen this week either. We did promise it would be here this week, or we suggested it may be along. Um, it's not going to be here this week. We Hopefully, maybe uh, next week we'll get around to it. Um, so hold tight on that, listeners. And also... The trebles went completely south on everyone. I My one fell down on Everton. Um, I had Everton to beat Leicester City and 2-2 it wrapped up. Nathan, yours went Similar south. Similar problem for me. I went for Sunderland to beat West Brom and 2-all, that finished up as well. Yeah. Two um, out of three ain't bad. Jers, it's just not a winner. Jers, I think, fell on United. Well, Jer has... Well. At least we went for... If we had won, we would have won big. Jer went for the easiest, the lowest odds you could possibly go for of United, Liverpool, Arsenal. Yeah. But you do expect that to come in. And that, I, I think that is the prudent play. I think he, that's absolutely the way to go. Um, which reminds me, I will do between now and the end of the podcast. I haven't given, <laughs> I haven't given this one second thought. Um, but I will, have a, I will have a look at it. Um, we do have the two lads in as well. So we'll get to all of those a bit later before we leave you. Um, and we want to start with chatting about a little few topics that are doing the rounds this week. Um, I suppose initially we'll start maybe with the uh, story of the LMA and just to bring a bit of clarity to it, I just want to give people a bit of a flavour because I think ultimately these stories come out and quite quite frequently the seed of what's happened is generally forgotten about and then so people start to talk about the repercussions, etc. Just to give you a bit of flavour of the two statements from the League Managers Association over the last, I think, 24 hours or thereabouts. Um, so just the first one is quite a lengthy one, so just a couple of highlights from it, I suppose. Um, Malky had, it seems, uh, in relation to Malky Mackay, Crystal Palace, Cardiff City, I'm sure everybody's aware of that dynamic. Malky had, it seems, sent a regrettable and disrespectful... Uh, Send a, excuse me, I'll start that again. Malky had, it seems, sent a couple of one-line texts that were the benefit, uh, with the benefit of hindsight, very regrettable and disrespectful to others. I wouldn't think it, uh, the benefit of hindsight was quite required there. Messages, uh, messages sent in pr- uh, private at a time that Malky felt under great pressure uh, when he was letting off steam to a friend during some friendly text message banter. So again, uh, some excuse for the text's, uh, text messages there. And uh, the LMA themselves po- want to point out that over 10,000 text messages and 70,000 documents produced over a long period of time, and it may not have been a complete surprise that some inappropriate comments can sometimes be made by employees. I would think that would be uh, somewhat surprising. If Malky caused any offence by these two isolated matters, he would, however, wish to sincerely apologise. So he's not exactly apologising. He's saying if, if he caused offence, then he's apologetic. Uh, Malky finds it strange that these matters were only raised with the FA and in the media now, eight months after his employment ended and the day before he was reported as being offered the opportunity to become the manager of Crystal Palace FC. Again, this is not the point. You may find it strange. You may think it's perfectly normal procedure. Either way, now's not the time to address that. And finally, Malky has said that he will be fully cooperating with any FA investigation and that he looks forward to putting the record straight thereafter. I don't know how you put the record straight. I can't even begin to think how that might happen. (sighs) He sent the texts. He hasn't denied that. Yeah. 
So, look, that was the initial LMA with, I mean, that is quite a, that's probably 50% of the release that I've read you there, and it's all backtracking, covering, and not really meeting the tone of the accusations head on and saying, hands up, I did bad, and we're going to try and put this right a little bit. The other uh, release then that came out, the second release following the LMA apologising, as it says, for some of its wording in its release yesterday, which was inappropriate and had been perceived uh, to trivialise matters of a racist, sexist or homophobic nature. That was certainly not our intention. It's beyond argument that any comments that are discriminatory, even used in private, are totally unacceptable. The LMA remains absolutely aware of our responsibilities to the game and to promote and uphold the highest standards of behaviour. The LMA will not be commenting further, which is probably to relief all around, on the allegations relating to Malcolm McCoy whilst the FA conducted its investigation, other than to repeat that uh, both the LMA and Malky will be cooperating fully. I don't know what the LMA have to be cooperating fully about, but they're certainly standing by their man. Well, they'll be representing him, possibly, as his union. Yeah, I don't know why they would need to insist that they're going to be cooperating fully. I kind of thought that was a bit of a given here, guys. Uh, and the latest development today, the Cardiff City is they're seeking the seeking for the top man of the LMA to stand down, which I think is probably a fairly reasonable course of action at this stage. Yeah, and justice for Adrian Barry. Yeah. After all the abuse like we gave you at the end of last season for your sticking up for Vincent Tan, and it turns out Vincent Tan was right. You see, yeah, and I think I feel slightly misrepresented in this discussion. Um, ultimately, all I was saying was, do we know the full story? We probably don't. And there's always a reason for these things. You know, like, I mean, there's still all the other stuff, the changing of the club's crest, the changing of the colours... But at that point, we were starting. To, we we had actually heard from Vincent Tan because he'd done an interview with the BBC at one point, and so we actually started to get some explanations about how all these things had come about. And so there's always going to be some sort of a reason as to why all this stuff happened. You know, Malky McCoy lapped up the praise over the final two weeks when he was quite clearly leaving Cardiff City and did the old uh, patting of the head and all that kind of stuff, and was pretty happy to take the plaudits while Vincent Tan stood back. Now, the other side of all this over the last little while is the reporting of it. Uh, certainly anything I've read specifically, either either explicitly or maybe in some mo- maybe more covert ways, a lot of these articles are talking about reve- the revenge of Vincent Tan, which again, I just I just find odd. Well, is it revenge? Maybe it's not revenge, but Vincent Tan was obviously in a difficult position in that, well, he didn't know about this, but the whole reason they actually went into... Uh, investigate Ian Moody and Malky Mackay was because there's suspicions over their transfer activity, which Tan had kind of made public, and but perhaps he knew for quite a while that this was there, these messages mm. were out there, and he chose his timing, which would maybe hint at a little bit of revenge. Well, there's well, no love lost you see, between well, a few Matthew McGuire and Vincent Town. Now, now, there's a few things now. I don't know that he would have known about the text messages at that point because they came, I think, at a later time where they were actually investigating to see about the uh, No, but I'm saying he, he would have known about these text messages before this week when... Yes, he would. No, he would have done, but there was some sort of a clause in the parting of the ways between Malky McKay and Cardiff City that said that they couldn't make any public utterances about why that was, unless it directly involves something to do with the FA. So I'm presuming the something to do with the FA clause is is about to be employed in the Premier League. And so at that point, it's in the interest of the FA that Vincent Tan comes forward and offers his information. I presume 
that was the legal bind that meant that if he had got the Norwich City job back in April or May, that he still could have come forward at that point, but that it had to be this sort of release. Yeah, I wonder for how long did Malky McKay know this was coming? Because when he lost the job and he said, I'm going to bring these guys yeah. to court, I'm going to fleece them for every penny he's got in Malaysia. Mm. And then he goes, oh, sorry about that. He's actually a great man. It's all yeah. my fault. I don't want that seven and a half million <laughs> quid I'm old. I would think that was the that was the day that Mikey McKay knew this shit was coming his way. He's walking into the, into the meeting. He's like, oh, yes. <laughs> Write that check there, Vincent. <laughs> and Vince is like, uh, I have a few little text messages Just here. You slide this page across like, the table. Oh, God damn it. Uh, I, I'd imagine there's a lot of people in football when things like this happened and we heard Richard Keyes at the start and it's all banter as yeah. the LMA and that was the word that really Bloody screwed the banter. LMA in that Well, Well, it did statement. but I mean look as we've read like the LMA statement granted the word banter was the one that everybody's latched onto the statement was nuts it clearly showed that the LMA nor Mikey McCoy neither party had fully grasped the full uh, degree to which these things were offensive to people and like so that's well, your we base point maybe, We shouldn't be overly surprised by that the LMA is screwing this up unions in general mm. don't come out with the wisest of statements because they're so blinkered in their views all they want to do is support their members and presumably yeah. the LMA are run by their members and managers you have to be a certain type of person to be a football manager their ego just runs wild yeah but it's just like like okay all of those things absolutely all of those things but get somebody get somebody if that's your base, right, and so ultimately what you're saying is that the LMA are part of the institution. So if that's your base, fair enough, but get somebody to write a statement that doesn't reflect that. Do you know what I mean? That doesn't put it in absolute clear terms for everybody else to say ultimately what the LMA are saying in that initial statement. We don't really care. Yeah, this ah, stuff happens. He shouldn't have it's done fine. it, but let's be honest, everyone yeah, everyone's sends, it. Everyone sure, sends messages like this. He was just unlucky. He got caught. And they do, you know? That's the thing about it. It's not just a football problem. This You don't generally have to scratch too far beneath the surface to find that prejudice just exists. And so... Hey. That's it. Mackie, he's not a murderer. He's not a paedophile. <laughs> Listen, Harry. We don't want to get too sanctimonious about it, but ultimately... Hey, sanctimony is... <laughs> It's what you live for. Uh, yeah, Harry no. Redknapp hasn't really helped him. No. Clark, what, give, give us the detail of that. Uh, basically, Harry came out and was talking about Mackie. Yeah, he's, he's a good guy and it's, you know, it's going to be a very tough time on his family, which it is, uh, but he's brought this upon himself. Um, but look at it. People do worse things all the time. He's not a murderer. He's not a paedophile. Mm. Yeah. Again, <laughs> in terms of your wording... I would think if I was the press officer of a Premier League club or involved in advising anybody at the minute who's going to be asked for an opinion on this. Shut up. Shut up and keep it simple is what I'd be thinking. Uh, Yeah, so it's very hard to see how Malky McKay ever comes back from this. No. And the other thing is... And he's a young um, young man. That we were getting it earlier on, uh, and and, like a guy who'd been highly rated obviously as well, that a... Like Vincent Tan is the hero in all this. He's the he's the kid in Hans Christian Andersen saying the emperor is no clothes and the emperor is football. And then all of a sudden you see a lot of reporting about it. I read in the Guardian um, yesterday a quote here. In the end, it came down to a billionaire determined to exact a bit of revenge and ex- expose the two men he accuses of breaching his trust. Again, he talks about revenge. I don't get it. And then I read, I was encouraged to see that Kevin Garside had written a bit in the London Independent today and the headline encouraged me to it. And I thought, this is going to be good. This is going to be, I'm going to reflect well on Vincent Tan here. And the very opening line, cold, question mark. Vincent Tan has had this dish in the freezer topped with razor blades. 
and again talks uh, yet one man's revenge is the best uh, is the least of the tawdry tale that Tan exposes so there's a lot of this revenge narrative yeah and I also wonder as well within the football community what they think of Ian Moody and whether he's maybe taking going to take a a lion's share of the blame for this because he's not a football man. Yeah. Have you noticed all the photographs, by the way? I don't know if you, anybody else has caught on to this. Most of the photographs that I've seen of Ian Moody over the last little while, they've got a very stern business-looking uh, Mikey McCoy, and then this little sort of um, kid with the smiley face, uh, Ian Moody, uh, looking up to him and sort of trying to crack a joke, but Mikey McCoy is too bold-faced. How did I end up in such a powerful position in football? Because he came in as a a press officer essentially yeah. and managed to be at the right place at the right time got promoted to director of operations and became friendly with Malcolm McKay ended up at Cardiff yeah, and somehow then gets snapped up by Crystal Palace of course within all this as well there is the other story about the spying which yeah. we also had a great laugh at last yeah. season thinking ah sure people talk in football there's nothing really in this and actually it turns out yes they were completely guilty Crystal Palace yeah. of yeah. spying on yeah. Cardiff and went about this in a pretty professional manner. So, yeah, it doesn't reflect well. Um, uh, look, it doesn't. Like, like, do you know what? This can be a brilliant thing because ultimately it might encourage a bunch of conversations about how this stuff just happens. And let's all get a bit realistic about it and try and address it from that way as opposed to saying, like, the underlying uh, thing of it just... Come oh, this, on, it's football. Nothing no, no, but, my, but my, oh, look, I accept it. It probably, it probably isn't, but we're talking about it. I presume other people are going to talk about it. And maybe it just opens a bunch of conversations and hopefully hopefully people talk about it in the broader sense that it isn't just a football conversation. Yeah, and then Mario Balotelli goes and does something stupid and nobody, everybody forgets about it and moves Good on. Good segue, Nathan. Good. Hey. Damn fine That's segue. That's all a pro. <laughs> um, yeah, look, we leave it there. There's plenty more to get into uh, in it, but we might leave it for the minute. Uh, Mario Balotelli could... Make his debut at Manchester City? No, oh, he could not. He's not gonna. No, because that got, had to be done by twelve. Twelve, yeah. In fact, yeah. they're saying it mightn't even go through until Monday. He's currently Sky sources flying to England uh, uh, for the final stage of negotiations. Then he'll have to undergo a medical. Which at so, this point are just the, pers- the personal stuff, I assume. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, it's all that Liverpool are putting in a lot of clauses about his behaviour. Yeah. That if he doesn't meet certain standards, there's going to be significant financial penalties, which is fairly understandable at this stage. I'll be a good boy was one of the uh, BUY, uh, was one of the headlines I saw in one of the tabloids. Yeah, so I'm actually very excited. Yes, when I heard about this first, I was like, never going to happen. Then yes, I was thinking, hmm, Balotelli back in the Premier League. And all of a sudden I'm thinking, Balotelli is back in the Premier League. Nobody ah. generates stories quite like this guy. Yeah. And we're going to have his debut live and off the ball on Sunday week. Yes, that's, Spurs that's Liverpool. a very point. Yeah, because earlier on the week you were definitely, at one point you were kind of, you were twisting in the seat and you were like, oh, what do I think of this Balotelli? Oh, I don't really know. And then you'd find minutes later, yeah, I think this could be good. And then five minutes later, oh, I'm, just, I'm not sure anymore. But you've decided. I've decided. This is a great moment for the Premier League. Is that primarily based around, oh, okay, as opposed to a great moment for Liverpool? I don't know how this is going to play out for Liverpool. I do think it is a certain amount of it's down to Brendan Rodgers' ego, which is off the scale <laughs> at this stage. His post-match interview after the Southampton game was hilarious. Firstly, just randomly bringing up that he's lost a load of weight. So he's asked about the result, or about the celebration after Daniel Sturridge scores. He goes, well, I've lost a couple of stone and I'm pretty nimble these days, so I enjoy my celebrations. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. We had noticed, and, and the shiny teeth as well there, Brendan, and and all those things. Is that out there? It's out there. Is it? <laughs> is, is it not out there? <laughs> I'm pretty certain it's out there. I don't know that we might have to cut this bit out. <laughs> <laughs> I think 
I'm going to make a note of that. Make a note of that. Um, and what was I going to... Right. We've just cut something out of the podcast. <laughs> Let's continue. Yeah, and then he's talking about Ricky Lambert coming on as a substitute with 15 minutes remaining and obviously uh, playing a key role in Daniel Sturridge's winner. Now, Ricky Lambert is your only recognised striker on the bench. It's one all, 15 minutes at remaining. Yeah. First home game of the season. You want to go for a winner. You bring on, you bring on Ricky, Ricky Lambert. Brendan <laughs> Rodgers is talking about it as if this... Nobody else in the stadium could have predicted that I was going to bring on Ricky Lambert at this moment in the game. <laughs> he's looking at the, at the coaching manual and he's looking down, plan D, bring on the big fella. <laughs> yeah, and it worked. But uh, yeah, there's no doubt. And it's it's to Liverpool's benefit, I think, that Brendan Rodgers has a massive ego now and mm. is getting bigger because he has such belief in himself and he seems to be able to transfer that to players. I do just think, does he look at Balotelli and say... Well, Suarez had his problems, but look what I did with him last season. I turned him into a 31-goal-a-season striker in 33 games. Whereas, in fact, maybe it was Luis Suarez turned Brendan Rodgers into a brilliant manager. That's an, certainly an interesting point of view. And also, I would think that, yes, Luis Suarez had some issues before he came to Liverpool, but actually most of his problems were when he was there. <laughs> well, there is quite there a bit of There was one previous bite at Ajax before he arrived, yeah. but... Then there was the bite was the, and the racism. And the racism. Yeah, the old racism rearing its head again. Um, but uh, John Giles wasn't convinced. Nathan, no, we spoke well, I'm not surprised by that. Night. He, in fact, is suggesting that this is not a Brendan Rodgers buy and that it completely undermines the Liverpool manager. It's, it may not be a Brendan Rodgers buy, but it's a good buy for £16 million. You've got to go. I, I, yeah, you've got to go because he's only 24. His value is not really going to diminish over the next couple of years, no matter what happens. <laughs> he said, record that. But, look, if Luis Suarez can have two, three bites and a racism scandal to win and be sold for 65 million. Balotelli... 75? Well, Barcelona rising, are now saying rising. that it was 65 oh, yeah. that's, million that's during the hilarious. week. They're insisting 65. Liverpool are still insisting 75. Yeah. That's kind of hilarious. Semantics, I guess, mm. at the end of the day. Well, 10 million quid. 10 million quid. In yeah. football these days, what is yeah. it? Uh... So I don't think there's a huge issue in a monetary sense um, because he could go on if he does develop and if Brendan Rodgers can work some magic with him, Mm. he could score 25 goals in a season. I just wonder where he's going to play for Liverpool because Balotelli, any time I've seen him, he kind of meanders around the pitch a little bit and everything's done at his pace, whereas Liverpool attack attack, attack. It's just explosive constantly. But would that, not, would that style not suit a player like Balotelli who isn't necessarily going to bring himself back? He's not going to get... He's only going to want to back up the pitch if the ball isn't coming to him quick enough. And at that, the ball is just going to go past him. He's not the sort to get himself involved. And maybe that's sort of a style where they do shift it pretty quickly and increasingly saw this season uh, from, from uh, back to front pretty quickly. That might actually suit somebody like Balotelli. Yeah, perhaps. And if he comes on board with that system and he looks around and goes, right, I can't just stand here stand still and wait for the ball to come to me in saying that I'm going to contradict myself maybe that's kind of what Liverpool need if you look back the stat has been put out a lot this week he only has one assist in English football Yeah, but it was the assist it was for Sergio Aguero's goal but what Liverpool were missing the last day against that happened that was really noticeable was somebody in that position he got into when he held the ball up for Aguero somebody just on the D the ball comes forward and Aguero has or Balotelli's control is incredible so the ball comes forward to him and it sticks to him. Yeah. Whereas the last day for Liverpool, that wasn't happening. Sturridge was never where you would have hoped he would be in the area. He was drifting, looking for the ball constantly. So maybe they want somebody who will just be almost a number nine. Yeah. 
And also, like, even in terms of Sturridge, and everybody says, you know, the argument for people who say that Liverpool are going to be just fine is that um, Sturridge is this guy who scored a bunch of goals last season and is going to be absolutely fine. But he's also, like, at the very least, got to get used to working with different players. So, like, the sort of telepathy that existed to a little bit with himself and Suarez, at the very least, they've got to get used to working with just a new guy. Yeah, and they're going to have a few different partnerships up front this season. You'll presume Sturridge will still be, even with Balotelli's arrival, Sturridge will be the number one striker. It was just quite noticeable that Suarez, the ball would stick to him when it came forward and there would yeah. be time for Sturridge to get into position. Whereas last week the ball would come to Coutinho and he might be the second play, furthest player forward and Sturridge is off at the right wing and Coutinho can't pick out the pass and they lose the ball and next thing it's back with the defence again. So I, I did really feel watching them at Anfield last Sunday that they needed somebody else up front. Now, again, last Sunday they won the game, didn't play outstandingly well, but we're missing Lalana, missing Markovic. So there are guys still yeah. to come in. I don't, I wouldn't read a huge amount into Liverpool's performance yeah. from last Sunday. Yeah, and they grounded out in the end, but it will be, I suppose, when. Uh, Rogers looks to uh, to the plan book now, and uh, he looks to the bench. And Plan D says, "Bring on the big fella." He's got two options now, depending on uh, which way he goes. Obviously, from a from a starting team perspective. But the other thing is that it's kind of like Remy, Falcao, and Edu were the three players that were fairly broadly linked with Liverpool over the last little while, and um, probably as far back as well two or three weeks ago, probably with many of them. And now we're kind of ten days out from the end of the window. There is it does strike me as it's look, it's good value, it's business that had to be done. But it's also business that had to be done from a time point of view because things are going to get a bit rushed from here on in. Yeah, and you look at it and think they're going to sell Fabio Barini if they can force him to leave to Sunderland for fourteen million. Good move, good move all around. Well, Barini, Barini doesn't really seem to think think so. He, he doesn't want to stay. leave. He wants to stay and prove. Obviously, he had, he had a good, decent season. Well, for that's Sunderland, it. Yeah. He, he basically kept him in the Premier League. Yeah. So he's obviously looked at that and thought, well, I can do it here. I've proven I can do it in the Premier League. Give me a go. Rogers is no longer convinced. And wants the money. Yeah. So if it's only going to cost you two million between the two of them, obviously Balotelli's going to be on a far higher wage. It's a bit a significant improvement to the squad for Liverpool. I admire a guy like that who hangs around like a bad smell and insists that I'm good enough to do this thing because ultimately when you put him on the pitch, he's going to want to break his balls for you. Yeah, and it's it's something that's always been there with Brendan Rodgers. He seems to make it pretty clear when he doesn't want players and quite often... I guess he will claim again it's good management hmm. but he wanted to get rid of Skirtle. Did he want to get rid, he wanted rid, of, to get rid of Jordan Henderson? Sterling at one point? Uh, no, well he had, just the, he had a, the incident yeah. uh, in the being being, Liverpool, being Liverpool where was, yeah. he took him aside and said I'm going to send you on the first flight back home yeah. if you don't cop yourself on and start stop giving me cheek. But he made it clear he wanted to get rid of Jordan Henderson. Would you fly from Liverpool to London? Where's he from? Well, they were in America. All right. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to send you on the first flight home. I would have thought like a train would be two hours. Well, yeah, if even that. Um, so, yeah, Rogers has always done this, which I and he says it to the media. So perhaps it'll work again if Barini does stay. I think Barini will eventually realise, particularly if Balotelli comes in, that uh, maybe Sunderland is going to be my new home. And Sunderland, by all accounts, is a wonderful place. I can't wait to go there on Sunday. <laughs> We're back um, at that old chestnut. Let's talk about some football and... Thankfully, we can all sort of sit back and smell the heather a little bit. And last week, we were... Like, in so much as we always kind of bullshit our way through this thing, we were kind of winging it a little bit because um, there wasn't a huge amount of football, obviously, to talk about. Um, so we're going to get through some of these games a little quicker than others. Um, the early game on Saturday is Villa against Newcastle United. The big uh, discussion 
uh, from an Aston Villa point of view and an Irish point of view this week's a bit about Jack Grealish he came off the Villa bench uh, for 20 minutes against Stoke last week Villa win that 1-0 um, a guy who spent most of last season on loan at Notts County of League 1 he got 2 minutes at the end of last season as well against Manchester City to make his Premier League debut there and he plays in loads of positions as Dan McDonald was telling us last night he's an exciting prospect it's hard not to get excited about him even though we don't really know what he's doing internationally just yet yeah, well, he's been named in the Irish under twenty one squad today, and um, no, I was going to say Martin King, <laughs> Noel King, company <laughs> uh, manager. N- Noel King uh, said, "Well, look, we're happy to facilitate him at this moment in time." Yeah, and this moment in time, at this particular moment in time, and I'm going like, "Well, yeah, it's fair enough." Uh, of course, I think you he's going to yeah, end up playing because you Ireland. can't piss him off. You got to keep him. Uh, no, um, and he's just keeping his options open. He's a young guy, as you say, prospect. Is, yeah. the, is the key word in all of this. We shouldn't be getting our hopes up uh, just yet. If, by Christmas, he's forced his way into the Villa side and he's playing every week and he's become more of a prospect and there's a possibility of him playing, say, in the competitive qualifiers early next year in March and, and June, Yeah, then there's a bit of a, a push on. Yeah, and look, he's quite clearly read it very highly as well by all at Aston Villa. They are trying to use that process of easing him in as opposed to... Uh, firing him into the front line necessarily so that's Villa against Newcastle Villa winning 1-0 last week um, Newcastle losing 2-0 to Manchester City there's no shame in that Nathan No and they without having a shot on target they could have equalised before Aguero scored the second goal They some of these guys they bought in uh, Cabela Cabela and Riviere Rivery uh, I'll definitely do my research before I do a Newcastle game mm. uh, both of them were pretty impressive up front Villa, it's the first game of the season and suddenly all the Villa fans are thinking, oh, I think maybe the grand plan is all coming together now. All these young guys have now matured. I wouldn't be fully convinced. I think Newcastle might beat them uh, early tomorrow morning. I think Newcastle are going to have a good season. Top Uh, eight. By the whoa! Uh, by the way, Liverpool are at Manchester City. That's the uh, Monday game. Uh, so Chelsea against Leicester is an interesting one, Nathan. It's at Stamford Bridge, one of the three o'clock games on Saturday. And already we're talking about the unstoppable juggernaut. They've certainly been the team that impressed most after the opening weekend. Chelsea, that is, as opposed to Leicester, actually who themselves impressed reasonably enough. Uh, but they went one nil down early on to Burnley, and then Costa, Charlotte, Ivanovic all hit back pretty quickly. It's three one before half time, and. Uh, that's the way it finishes and pretty much the most complete performance yeah I think actually tomorrow might tell us a lot about Chelsea this season because people are saying this could be Mourinho's masterpiece that this could be the defensive Mourinho and the negative Mourinho is gone and now that he has these players they're going to go and play like Liverpool and Manchester City last season and score 100 goals I think tomorrow might tell us a lot about that because they should and could win this by 6 or 7 so if they are ahead 3-1 or 3-0 at half time tomorrow, do they push on and try and kill Leicester? Or does Mourinho step in and go, hold it? Yeah, I would think the hold it option. He's ultimately a prudent manager, I would think, behind it all. And like you talk about the defensive qualities of Chelsea, Aspilicueta, um, Terry and Kale and Ivanovic the back, back four last weekend. And that's not um, allowing for Felipe Luis. Uh, this new left back, sixteen million from Atletico to come in. Yeah, I wonder are they going to sign another defender because are they're in a good position in that they've five defenders there now and they can all kind of rotate. Yes. Well, three of them can rotate. Ivanovic can play right back or centre back. Aspilicueta yeah. can play right back or left back. 
So maybe he's just happy with that. I wouldn't be surprised. Well, they have, is it Zuma as well there who uh, can, a youngster? So maybe the, mm. he'll just stick with those for now. But Ivanovic might be the one to pay the price here in this, all this mix. I mean, because. You know, you said, I don't understand. I think Ivanovic probably the best defender in the Premier League. In what position? It, well, centre back, right back, yeah. either. Well, if he's a, I mean, centre back. So he's going to have those to, five. Not, he is the he is the first one I pick. It depends on what system he plays. If he's going to go with a wing back, Ivanovic isn't the paciest of that of that bunch. But he still I mean? always like he, gets forward. He, yeah, he was playing right back on on Monday night, and he was there for the goal. Yeah, it just if you're trying to again that idea shift or the for ball. the for the pa- was it was his pass wasn't it into was it his pass into Fabregas for to set up Schurler's goal? Yeah, I don't know off the top of my head. Um... If you're trying to shift that ball from back to front pretty quickly, he's not going to be the guy that's going to dribble that up the pitch, a la Seamus Coleman, for example. He's maybe lacking a little bit of pace, from uh, certainly in comparison to the other options. Yeah. Like, certainly at centre-back, I would think he's a viable option. But then again, Terry and Cahill. Yeah, I think, I, I think Mourinho will rotate it yeah. throughout the season. And Mourinho is happy with Ivanovic in either position. He rarely, if ever, makes a mistake. Yeah. And... Like Chelsea were what was particularly impressive was that all the players they signed well Luis didn't start but Costa and Fabregas Fabregas just class. settled in straight away yeah um, from a Leicester point of view I think it's going to be interesting to see if a team who won 31 of 46 games in the league last season they only lost 6 and so all of a sudden it's a very different dynamic for them because they're going to lose a whole lot of games this year and like it's just going to be, like you're probably better positioned if you've come up through the playoffs Ali QPR because you know, QPR, I think, finished 20, 22 points off Leicester at the end of last season, so had lost a bunch of games and were used to grinding it out to try and win, to try and get themselves promoted. And so mentally are probably in a better position because they know they're going to, again, lose a bunch of games. Yeah, I guess that's the same every season that the champions come up and, you, as you say, you win over 30 games, you're hammering teams, guys who might not necessarily do particularly well in the Premier League or your strikers are scoring 20, 25 goals each. And they're not going to get half the chances they get then yeah. when they go up to the Premier League. Often we don't kind of figure this out until a couple of months into the season, whether as the promoted sides, it's good to be attacking or good to be defensively. If it's a very open season, mm. quite often teams that go for it. So maybe not the best tactical manager who'll set them up and say, I often think the promoted sides should just go for it. Yeah, Be quite open because you're always going to concede goals. Yeah. But win, well, win matches. Win matches. It was uh, while they weren't one of the promoted th- teams. I think off the top of my head, the example that's come to my mind is uh, West Brom from last season, where Pepe Mel arrives in and decides that he's going to play this uh, system where West Brom are pushing up the pitch and they're back uh, their defence. Stephen Reid, I'm thinking about specifically, and a couple of others weren't necessarily the best pace, uh, best placed uh, from a pace point of view. Deal to deal with a team that were attacking them on the counter. So they were accepting that ultimately we're going to concede some goals here, but we're going to play a high enough line and try and get some of our own. Yeah. I, I, I can't decide with the promoted teams this season because there's there's a definite gap between the top six and seven and everybody else. So anything you get against the top six or seven, bit of a bonus. Yeah. There's a, basically a massive mini-league of 12, 13 clubs then that's going to decide the three teams that go down. And always we say when it comes to relegation, you can't predict who's going to get sacked. So this time last season, who's going to be relegated? Well, Sunderland, because Canio's a nutcase. Uh. But then Canio gets sacked, Gus Poya comes in and saves them. He does, but generally, the certainly the perceived wisdom is stick with the manager because 
Like there was the Chris Shooting stuff. There was a whole bunch of stuff where there was certainly at one Chris point. Chris Shooting deserved to be sacked. There was certainly at one point last season where there was a, certainly a bunch of statistics to back up the idea that actually hanging on to your manager is the way to go. Mm, I'm not fully convinced. It depends on who the manager is. Perhaps for the promoted teams, yeah, you should stick with your manager. A uh, two teams. So that's Chelsea, Leicester. Two teams. A certainly I can probably make an argument that West Ham might not be battling down that end Crystal Palace against West Ham at Sellers Park Palace losing 2-1 to Arsenal at the weekend they had been 1-0 up after 35 minutes and 10-man West Ham very nearly beating Spurs uh, but that at a time uh, dire goal you're offering on Crystal Palace West Ham Nathan well I'm just upset that Tactics Tim has let us down again presumed after all this Malky Mackay controversy that Tactics Tim was going to swoop in and get the Crystal Palace job but he's turned it down. Yeah, the West Brom job, and now the Crystal Palace job. Is is he? Again, I was chatting to John Giles on the program last night, and I was saying to him, uh, actually, somebody had texted in about uh, the idea that Tim Sherwood. I think ultimately the tone of the piece was: Would Tim Sherwood's ego allow him to take accept this job despite knowingly being the second choice? And John said, "Look, you got to leave your morals at the uh, at the door when you're in football." Which is a pretty pretty accurate statement all around. Um, turns out that he, I, I don't know if this was an ego-related uh, decision. He was offered the West Brom job at one point. I couldn't tell he was crazy to turn that down. And now he's turned down a job at Crystal Palace. Brendan Bazaar. This is a massive game for West Ham. Even though it is just the second week of the season. We spoke in last Saturday's show when... Spurs had Kyle Norton sent off. Mark Noble misses the penalty. Then West Ham have a player sent off. And you're just thinking the momentum that goes... If West Ham beats Spurs, the goodwill from that lasts Sam Allardyce a long time. Yeah. If they lose this, the fans are ready. Now, another London derby. A week later, they go down to Selhurst Park. Crystal Palace team with no manager. With a lot of problems. Well, Keith, Millen's, Ham, uh, Keith Millen's a genius. <laughs> Yeah, if West Ham lose this, I think Sam might not see out the month even. Could have beaten Arsenal at the weekend. Keith Millen is the man. Yeah, they could have. And Breda Hanglin was a good signing. Uh, yeah. Scored the goal. Um, they bought well. They have a pretty solid team. And they have a year's experience now, most of these players in the Premier League. You've been critical of Dwight Gale. Perhaps with that year mm. under his belt, he can step up. Yeah. What, what was the, the nature of that? It, was a, it wasn't necessarily that it was critical of him. It was that he had scored... Well, he scored his, like, ra- his goals to games guys, ratio is not, not fantastic. No, and it's not. Sp- was it 10 million they spent on him? Something like that. Uh, I don't think it was that much. I think it was maybe 5 million. Um, anyway. Um, Southampton against West Brom and that's at St Mary's. It'll be a game you'll be keeping an eye on on Saturday's programme, Nathan. Uh, Shane Long... Uh, is maybe the interesting talking point here and where exactly to play him because he came on at the, uh, the weekend Ronald Coleman put him on the wing and I was kind of thinking about it yesterday the one thing that people are, what's what's the main criticism of Shane Long? He doesn't score enough goals Right so why not remove him from that position why not try and put all your like like ultimately I don't know what Ronald Coleman has obviously bought him for a reason and I don't know I, w- I wouldn't imagine that was to put him on the wing I don't know um, I wouldn't imagine it was but if the main criticism of Shane Long is that he can't score enough goals, then just remove him a little bit from goal, whether that's on the wing or playing just off the front line. And he'll still find himself in positions 10 yards like out. Like he did at the weekend. four minutes remaining with an open goal. <laughs> uh, I've actually kind of felt this with Ireland for a long time. Why not play him on the wing? Mm. Um, now, we have a few options at the moment, but he... I don't want to say he's not good enough to be the lone striker, but his record isn't good enough to be the lone striker. Kevin Caban, after the match... 
was pretty adamant that he doesn't see Long fitting into this system at as it stands at Southampton. And I spoke to Shane Long after the match, and he did say, "Well, I, I asked him where, where are you going to play," and he said, "Well, there's." A spot on the left, a spot on the right, and a spot behind the main striker, which is kind of what I'm fighting for. So, uh, well, the only thing without is without going too far down the line, your man Pele, Graziano Pele, yeah. was useless. Really, six foot four, barely won a header. Lovren and Skirtle were excellent, and he was the guy who was playing first. He's the big, forward. he's the big man. Yeah. So, if he doesn't work out, perhaps he fits in there. But they're talking about signing Andros Townsend now as well. That if Tadic on the left. And Townsend on the right, presumably, he was would be super the plan. Perfect, oh, perfect replacement for Adam Alana. Yeah, big, very similar type oh, player. Yeah. Wants the ball all the time. I called this last week. People. I don't mind uh, coming forward about it. That he is the absolutely ideal replacement for Adam Alana. Certainly, everything that I'd seen and read about him, he's a class act. That little touch for the goal. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, it was. Uh, maybe we're reading too much into this system that they played against Liverpool. Yeah. They're at home tomorrow. We might see a little something different from Southampton. He might go straight four four two, or maybe four two. Yeah, three. Southampton doesn't strike me as a four four two club. No. The, the other thing about the other thing about Chen Long, sorry, just to go back to that, is that like I like ultimately you see ultimately I think he can play those wing positions for Southampton, or he can play just off the front man. But from an Ireland point of view, we don't have enough quality to have him anywhere else. But in that either furthest forward or up with Robbie Keane type role. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying, that if the way Martin O'Neill is going to play, he's going to play, I would presume, Robbie up front and Wes Hulahan just behind. Mm. That, you play Shane Long on the right-hand side. Yeah. And what you do is, for the goal kicks, because he's so good in the air, Shane Long moves into centre and wins the header, and then he goes runs back out to the right-hand side again. Yeah. Yeah. Again, you know, Shane Long said that in the interview about this is the system they play. He was there two days. It, they were building up to this Liverpool match. It could be a very different system they play. A lot depends as well with Southampton if they keep Schneiderlin. So if they have Schneiderlin and Wanyama in the midfield, two tough tackling, get stuck in, give the ball to better players type guys, yeah. and who are very, very, who both of them would improve Liverpool, Arsenal easily. They're exactly the type of player they need. But then they've got four guys in front of them, and what way they play, you know, I don't think it matters hugely. Ward Prowse is another guy who was really yeah. impressive on uh, on Sundays. His dead ball deliveries were were excellent. Yeah, probably so, one of the unsung players actually from last year that was pretty decent, but there was so much quality around him, nobody really paid him too much. Yeah, heat. and he's still only nineteen. Yeah. So come through the academy as well. Uh, at home to West Brom tomorrow. West Brom just signed Georgia Samaras. Ah. Who? Um, Plan A. Put the big man up front. Yeah. Saido uh, Barahino scored a couple of goals last weekend. I do wonder has. Conceding that very late goal to Sunderland, maybe the momentum and the possibility of making a bright start to the season evaporated yeah. with that. Well, yeah, uh, Brino obviously was the guy last season, if people remember, uh, who was at fault for conceding a late goal for West Brom and went back into the dressing room, didn't offer an apology to anybody, and so <laughs> the, his teammates took umbrage with all of this, and there was a bit of a set too. Uh, which I don't know how it ended in the end. What happened in the end? Everyone just um, said did he, he eventually James came Morrison, forward. And James Morrison punched him, and James <laughs> Morrison got dropped from the team. Did he? He came forward and apologized at some point, if I remember. He right. tweeted. Yeah, he? he did. He did apologize uh, later in the week. All but uh, he's still he's in England under twenty one. West Brom have never won an away game in the Premier League in August. Let's move on to Swansea Burnley. Uh, that's a super stat. 
by the way, um, which we'll probably hopefully never hear of again. We will hear it tomorrow. <laughs> You'll definitely hear uh, it tomorrow. Uh, Swansea Burnley. Let's not spend a huge amount of time on this. Swansea flying pretty high after beating United at the weekend. Burnley losing 3 1 to Chelsea. Again, no great shame in that. That's one of the three o'clock games. Everton Arsenal is a late game on Saturday. Again, Nathan, you'll be keeping a close eye on this one. Uh, Everton. First big game of the season. First big game of the season. Yeah. That's kind of fair enough point, I suppose, yeah. Two of last season's top five. Yeah. Um, this game last season, when Everton destroyed Arsenal at the end of last season, we thought, there's no way Everton aren't going to finish in the top four. And it all just fell apart over the closing weeks and Arsenal went on a good run. Aidan McGeady scored a good goal last week. I just wonder with Everton, do they have enough quality behind Lukaku? So they have a good defence, then they've got a perfect holding midfielders in Gareth Barry and James McCarthy. And then Lukaku, top class striker. Yeah. My question over Everton would be the three players there. I have written down here creative players: Pinar, Barry, McGeady, and a big, large question mark over it. They they had sixty five percent, nearly sixty five percent percent possession against Leicester City, and they only created three shots on goal. Uh, no, two of those were goals. <laughs> Clearly, that's a pretty good conversion rate. And one of them, uh, spectacular effort by McGeady. But I think you're bang on. I think you got to question the creativity of those players in the middle for uh, for Everton. Yeah, and he likes to change it around a lot. So they've Pinar, McGeady, Osman, uh, Barkley would have been in there. They've lost Delefeu from last season. And Naismith has uh, come in. Mm. Uh, the new signing, the Bosnian, presumably will be in contention for one of those roles as well none of them though I don't think are at the highest level and they have a habit of I was Fulham against Everton at the end of last season Bessage and Bessage yeah and Rodwell got taken off after an hour and I think Delefeu got taken off after about an hour as well and the game just bypassed the three of them completely Mm. they couldn't get involved in the match so that is the one area and of course, Arsenal, it's probably the one area they're strongest in, in that they play a pretty similar system. They'll play three. They create endless chances, yeah. but just don't take them. Yeah, well, if Giroud is back and if Giroud is fit, and he should, I would imagine Giroud will start this match and he won't go with Sonogo again. Um, I, th- like, I think Giroud is definitely good enough to score 25 goals a season in the mm-hmm. Premier League. Whether he's good enough to score a lot of goals in the Champions League or score goals against Chelsea's defence and mm, uh, Manchester City's defence. That's probably, probably the ceiling 20. of it. Yeah. Um, but the good news for Arsenal is uh, Mikel Arteta's out. So they will put in somebody else. Might play Oxlade-Chamberlain, yeah. um, Wilshire. Uh, but Arsenal could have one eye on could have one eye on Champions League as well. It's kind of like the Manchester City-Liverpool game. It's it's almost too early in the season for these matches. Yeah, you just don't want to lose them. So I think Monday night it's a good time for Liverpool to be going to Manchester City. This is one of your two toughest games of the season away to City. Get them on the second weekend where nobody is fully at it just yet. There's no real rhythm to the season. They're yeah. not on a big, long, extended winning run, mm. and they probably haven't finished their signings. Some of the new signings won't be playing for Manchester City. I Get suppo- them now. I suppose in so much as there's ever a good time to play Manchester City, yeah. that's probably it. That's kind of a reasonable enough thing. Um, so that's Everton, Arsenal. Everton only lost three home games all of last season. Uh, two of those were Palace and Sunderland, by the way. So... Uh, you know, it's not exactly a record you can point to and say it was Chelsea, United, Chelsea, City, and Arsenal, for example. So they do tend to have those little blips. Uh, but aside from that, they they also don't tend to concede a huge amount of goals at home. 
It's a very difficult game to call. That's Everton against Arsenal. That's a late game on Saturday. We'll move on to Sunday. Um, we have a couple of live games here as well. We'll start with Sunderland against Manchester United. Jill will be at this one, Nathan, alongside John Anderson. Uh, we hope. Uh, that's the four o'clock game on Sunday. And uh, two super uh, pieces of team news from a Manchester United point of view here. I was reading it earlier. Uh, Robin Van Persie should be back. He's been rested, obviously, a little bit after the World Cup. So... Uh, we do know that United's escape plan there's only a game in so I don't, I'm reluctant to use the word escape but there we go it's been used um, seems to rest uh, pretty heavily on having him available and the other big new, uh, team news from a Manchester United point of view is that Marlon Fellaini could be out for several weeks yeah they don't like Marlon Fellaini the Manchester United supporters this seven days ago looked like an easy enough game for Manchester United they're going to start the season with a comfortable home win against Swansea up to Sunderland you win that no These problem easy fixtures all of a sudden you lose to Swansea and Sunderland's record against the top teams at the end of last season was pretty remarkable the draw against City beating Manchester United beating Chelsea and I don't think United will be looking forward to this and that's why I give Sunderland a pretty decent chance United are weak mentally uh, particularly at home, they're scared of their shy. Seems at the to be moment. a lot of um, head scratching going on at the weekend, and a lot of sort of the Laurel and Hardy type comedic scratch of the head. Yeah, it's going to take it's going to take quite a while for Louis Van Gaal. Louis Van Gaal, what do we decide? It's Louis Van, Gaal. Van Gaal. Yeah, Manchester United have decided. Um, it's going to take a long time for Louis Van Gaal to turn this round and turn them into mm. contenders again. Will he be given that time? I'm not quite sure. And they I'd just don't have the players. Some of the language that he was using afterwards, uh, just some of the stuff that he mentioned. Like, like I think at that point, like for me, I think after that game, Louis Van Gaal should have come out and gone. You know what? Like, it did first game of the season. Yeah, like I've been here months. It didn't quite go, but we're working on it. We're all coming together. The team, and there was a little bit of that, but there was also a lot of talk about being mentally smashed. I think was the phrase that he used. Our confidence is smashed. He said. Sunderland have a lot of players who have played for big teams I was going do my research yeah it's got a lot of guys who have signed from Arsenal Manchester City uh, United obviously John O'Shea and Wes Brown in there as well so players who aren't afraid of matches like this and Sunderland especially there's no, the, fear, there's no fear in those Sunderland players especially at this time <laughs> you could be a GA especially at this time of the season early in the season these are the type of games we should do a GA podcast we, sh- we should really we should check it out um, apologies if we sound slightly stoned at the end of that to anybody who uh, <laughs> yeah. tuned in last night technical error uh, hopefully it won't affect this podcast but I just think for guys who played for huge clubs that sounds like an LMA statement apologies <laughs> for sounding stoned it was a technical error <laughs> I didn't realise the podcast was going to be quite so early in the morning the, the, the guy the shady guy in the corner of the street told me there were Marlborough lights <laughs> yeah, I swear what I'm trying to say is that for guys who've played at massive clubs uh, early in the season when there's not a lot of pressure, this is where, if you're Jack Rodwell, you cannot wait for this game. This is where you announce your rebirth. Yeah, I'm back. There's an England squad been announced in a couple of weeks. I'm going to be the new guy in the centre midfield replacing Steven Gerrard for England. This is where all the journalists are going to be there, all the main British journalists, me, you know, the influencers and you, and the influencers you, should be saying, yeah. uh, so I, think I don't know Jack, yeah, Jack Rodwell's another he's an, another interesting uh, line to go down um, from uh, the Mag- yeah by the way uh, Fellaini I joke obviously uh, at the start of this little piece um, Bant <laughs> some people would call it banter 
good God. Several, he's out for several weeks with suspected ankle ligament damage. He, he suffered a training on Monday. I think he's going to have a second scan today, so uh, we shall see how that goes. He probably not going to be not the biggest team news either way because he's not going to be a plan, uh, you would think, of a gal's starting 11. Uh, so he went 3-5-2 against Swansea to begin with and then became a little bit panicked and went, oh shit, this isn't working. 4-4-2 is the way. And then many of the players... Uh, don't know what they're doing no there's a lack of some of the key players for United obviously Evans, Shaw, Carrick Van Persie as we mentioned Valencia as well but it, he's been he has known about a lot of these absentees for a few weeks at least at this stage and as I said it looked as if I, my understanding is that they did mix around with formations a little bit in the pre-season that it wasn't just here's 3-5-2 and here's what we're going to play that there was a little bit of mix and match but the players just seem so completely lost and um, all these gap, massive gaps appear uh, around the pitch where Manchester United need to be closing it down. Yeah, they just don't have the players in the positions. It's kind of like giving Jimmy Page a four-string guitar and saying, right stairway to heaven. And he kind of go, you know, I'm missing a couple of important parts here. Two strings. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You were uh, talking yesterday about... The Crow... This isn't the GA podcast again. Apologies if you're not into GA, but we're not going to spend a huge amount of time talking about the formations. You were talking about the Crow and Kerry's Declan O'Sullivan being the Crow from Game of Thrones. And I kind of wondered, at what point... Like, were you watching Game of Thrones and went, God, that Crow reminds me of Declan O'Sullivan. Or were you watching Declan O'Sullivan and going, God, that Declan O'Sullivan reminds me of the Crow. Where where the hell does this come from? Well, this I just... Jimmy Page started, I was just trying to think of something that's... It was an analogy. Yeah. You might have heard of them. Um, I've heard of good ones good ones this, both of them were particularly poor uh, though the crow did die and Declan Sullivan was dropped from the oh, Gary you've just team. ruined it we, you need to say you need to say spoiler alert spoiler alert it's spoiler too late alert. now it's too sorry late. about that uh, everybody why don't um, I, this is where United's buying policy yes um, it, where the problems are going to arise in that if he wants to play a certain system he do, like there are two wing backs the last day which were if you're playing 3-5 Two, one, two, whatever the hell it was. That's an extra player, but yeah, okay. <laughs> Your two wing backs are two of the most important players. One was Ashley Young, and the other was Jesse Lingard. Yeah. Neither of whom are suited to playing that position. And also, we I, we I mentioned him a little bit last week. They play with Tyler Blackett at the back, the left side of the back three. And again, a guy who just doesn't have the experience. Like, I think the United defence deserves discussion. Uh, not a great deal because we're running out of time, <laughs> but uh, it does deserve discussion because. You look for players here who, like normally you get a sort of a trickle effect into, at a club the size of Manchester United, you get a trickle effect of players into key positions. But ultimately, um, with uh, Manchester United, they're left with, I mean, Jones, like again, you like even from Phil Jones' point of view, you're kind of hopeful that there's more to come from this guy. Like you're only 22. Smalling, but this is the point, you know, this is exactly the point. Like there's not really a natural selection process of play here. Smalling, who's good, but we don't really know very, enough about him now. He's promising, but not yet established. And then Blackett, the 20-year-old spent last season on loan at Blackpool in Birmingham, six foot two, left-sided defender, played well in the pre-season, and a guy who we believe is going to turn into some sort of a player. But like, there's all, like all, those three players I've just mentioned, question mark, question mark, question mark. Yeah, it's probably for a far bigger discussion when we have a lot of time, but how much of this is down to the Glazers? Well, and the amount of money they have sucked out of the club. Yeah. Ed Woodward says there's money. Yeah, we can compete and we could break the world transfer record if needs be. Yet, it takes us weeks to get over the line with Marcus Rocco. Yeah. 
So and also, the, I read somewhere a couple of weeks ago that uh, Van Gaal had bollocked was it Woodward out of it for some failure in the transfer window, which was very early doors to be having some sort of a conflict over transfers. Yeah, there's. Well, Edward is going to get blamed for this again. I just wonder, he's probably just a puppet for the Glazers yeah. at this stage. Luke Shaw obviously has to come back into all that as well. And just buy and Raphael De- down the other side, and maybe there's your two wing-backs. Yeah. And buy De- Deli Blind, just buy him. I've been reading up about him a little bit this week. Well, that's it. You look at the players Barcelona Real Madrid buy. They just buy them. Just buy they this just go guy. just and do it. But Deli Blind is the perfect solution for Van Gaal. He's a guy who is natural position is left back so he can cover a couple of roles there he can play central uh, central defence and also Frank De Boer at Ajax uh, wanted him more midfield when Martin Yall left the club and so did that Philip Lamb type thing of taking him from left back and saying I have faith in you and this is a position you can play and he went ahead and played it and he can completely fulfil all of those roles you don't want to become a jack of all trades but he's a quality player just go ahead and buy him and he costs 25 million quid if it doesn't work out, we're Manchester United. Yeah. We're the biggest club in the world. Yeah. Look but at the amount of money we're earning. But again, Deli Blind isn't like he's not this, he's not like, you know, a Di Maria or a Kadira type that's this world star of world football. He's gettable, you know? Yeah. Well, the worst thing that's happened United over the last few days now is that Madrid have made it pretty clear that Di Maria and Kadira are leaving. Mm. So there's no excuse. Go and buy one of them. Go and buy Di Maria, who I suspect is probably going to end up at Paris Saint-Germain anyways. But it's just going to be another thing to whack over the head of Ed Woodward. Right, uh, let's whack ourselves out of here, which is a pretty uh, poor choice of phrase given what, we, uh, what we began the show with. It's just banter, Nathan. It's just banter. Top bants. Um, We've always got Tottenham QPR on Sunday. Yes, Tottenham QPR is the other game on Sunday and uh, Hull City against Stoke City as well but we've no time to talk about any of those. Uh, Kenny Cunningham, by the way, will be at White Hart Lane for that uh, Tottenham QPR game. Uh, I've decided on my treble as we've been tipping along there. Oh yeah? Uh, so I'm going to go for Chelsea to beat Leicester. Um, Ooh, out there. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go for Southampton to beat West Brom. Is that your phone? <laughs> that is, yeah. <laughs> I was just checking my, uh, my treble again. Good. That's Southampton to beat... Um, what did I say West Brom and the other one I'm going to go for is a bit controversial I've kind of been in a bit of a rush job here I'm going to go for a draw between Everton and Arsenal I know it's crazy because yeah. the draw is just not the way to go that's my treble I've no idea the odds I've come up with it in the last five minutes uh, Just I'll tell you Jer's treble and then you can give us your own and Dave's he's going for Chelsea and Southampton so two thirds of mine and he's also going for Swansea to beat Burnley he's obviously encouraged mm. by Swansea last weekend so that's where he's off to I've gone with a bit of both I've gone with Southampton uh, to win their match against West Brom I've gone with Swansea to beat Burnley that's that oh, go ahead and I've gone for a draw between Crystal Palace and West Ham odds of about 10 to 1 for that treble so you're going to get five we're, five are down back. each week 50 this is quid back just to uh, you know this is what we're going to do every week five are down each week and uh, whoever has most money at the end of the season is the winner yeah. as of last week we're all on zero <laughs> Uh, what did uh, the new daddy who's the daddy uh, the new daddy he's had the baby by the way for anybody who's following the McIntyre saga Labour saga um, yes uh, he was still, still emailing me about I wonder was he doing commentary on the birth I'm sure he was <laughs> yeah let's not even try <laughs> no, <let's, laughs> no he probably he probably actually it's just banter <laughs> Dave is going for Chelsea Spurs and Southampton 
Yeah, I think we're all everyone's on, going for Southampton. We're all on. Yeah, everyone's going. A lot of people are going for Chelsea. A lot of people are going for Southampton, and then there's a few others mixed in there as well. Nathan, just follow my tips, listeners. Uh, it's been fun. We had a lot of banter. I don't think we crossed the line. We may need to release a statement at some point over the afternoon. Apology to follow, and then we'll have a second apology tomorrow. Good luck. Wait, wait, wait.